You are listening to seminars at Hadley. This seminar is Explore the Eclipse with NASA and Hadley, presented by Aaron McKinley, moderated by Larry Muffet. Welcome to seminars at Hadley. My name is Larry Muffet. I'm a member of Hadley's seminars team. I work in curricular affairs, and I'm also the leader of Hadley's Veterans Initiative. We're so happy to present today's topic to you. Today's seminar topic is Explore the Eclipse with NASA and Hadley. Your presenter is Aaron McKinley. Aaron is an education specialist for the Office of Education at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center in Greenbelt, Maryland. For the past 11 years, she's been living her childhood dream while working at NASA, first at the NASA Johnson Space Center in Houston, Texas, and later at NASA Goddard. Prior to joining the NASA family in 2006, Aaron taught at the elementary level in the Aldean Independent School District in Houston. A two-time graduate of Iowa State University, Aaron has a Master of Education degree in Education, Curricular and Instructional Technology, and a Bachelor of Science degree in Elementary Education. Today, Aaron is going to bring us all up to speed on the upcoming eclipse and what that means. Now, let me welcome Aaron and we'll get underway. Aaron, this is such a pleasure much, Larry. It's a, the pleasure is all mine. I am thrilled to be talking to you live from NASA Goddard Space Flight Center in Maryland and to share with you all of the latest information on the upcoming eclipse. I am an education specialist here at Goddard and I have been very fortunate to be working for NASA uh, for over 11 years now, primarily with the distance learning group within the Office of Education, as well as several other avenues. I'm also the uh, lead point person for the entire agency, for the Office of Education efforts across the entire agency for the upcoming eclipse. So let's get started. As I said, August 21st, 2017, this is going to be the first total solar eclipse visible in the continuous United States in the past 38 years. It's the first coast to coast since 1918, so 99 years ago this event occurred last. So we are extremely excited and it's also the first just within the United States since 1778. That's right, you heard me right. 1778 was the last time that only the United States, the continuous uh, 48 lower states, experienced a solar, total solar eclipse. There is a lot of fascinating information that we can learn from the upcoming eclipse. Let me first talk to you, what is a solar eclipse? There is a wonderful diagram that shows the Earth on the right, the moon in the center, and the sun on the left. When a solar eclipse occurs, the moon comes in between the earth and the sun. There are special features that you can see within the solar eclipse. When you hear total eclipse, it looks as though if you are in the correct vantage point, what we call the path of totality, that it looks as though the moon is completely blocking out the sun. If you are just outside that path of totality, then you will experience what we call a partial eclipse. So the majority of the United States will be experiencing a partial eclipse. If you are from Oregon, across the country, going through Illinois, southern Illinois, and then ending in South Carolina. That is the path of totality, about 60 miles wide. Anywhere out of that, you will be experiencing just partial 
and wherever you are, it will be a very exciting, a very cool sight indeed. Now, you might be wondering, well, the moon comes in between the sun and our planet all the time. So why are these eclipses so rare? On this particular side, it shows that it all depends on the alignment. All of our objects, the sun, our planet Earth, our moon, they're all orbiting around the sun in, very, in different planes. And when it just it happens to be when those planes are perfectly aligned, that's when we see an eclipse. Now remember, a solar eclipse is when the moon comes between the Earth and the sun. A lunar eclipse, so it looks as though the, the moon is becoming very red. That is when our planet Earth intercepts the path between the moon and the sun. So on August 21st, we're experiencing that solar eclipse when it looks as though the moon is blocking out the sun. There's also this concept of why, again, are eclipses so rare. It also depends on where the moon is located in its orbit around our planet Earth. At perigee, which is actually the closest point from where the moon is to our planet Earth, it looks as though the moon is closer and looks slightly larger. At apogee, which is the opposite end, when it's further away, the moon is farther away and looks slightly smaller. So when you have a total eclipse, the moon is more in that perigee. When it, the moon is in apogee, then that's when you see an annular eclipse, where it looks as where the moon is still interfering with our view of the sun, but we still see a little bit of a ring because the moon is that much further away. On this chart, we see various paths all, ac all across the global map from 2001 to 2020. Our upcoming solar eclipse is located on here in blue. You can also see eclipses, annual eclipses, as well as hybrid eclipses. Now, the next time the U.S. will see a total solar eclipse will be in 2024. An interesting fact, the midpoint for this 2017 eclipse is Carbondale, which is where I will be. I'm very lucky to be going there with the rest of our NASA contingent uh, in a couple weeks to go see the eclipse. In 2024, the midpoint for that eclipse, which will go from south to north, will also be Carbondale, Illinois. So I have heard they are trying to have a special tagline added to their city logo and they're just saying that they are the crossroads for the eclipse. And in this case, they certainly will be. This is not the first time NASA has explored solar eclipses. This particular set of images comes from one of our heliophysics scientists here at Goddard named Dr. Eric Christian. He has actually gone all around the world to explore and study these fascinating events because there are incredible events, not just the solar eclipse itself that occurs, but also all around how nature responds, how plants respond, how animals respond. He visited China back in 2008 to witness the total solar eclipse. And in this collection of video or of pictures, you can see various cameras set up as well as during the totality or during the eclipse, it looks as dark as dusk outside. 
the next solar eclipse that he was able to witness was actually just this past year. In March 2016, he went to Micronesia in the Pacific Islands and witnessed, along with the native tribes there, this solar eclipse. If you ever have a chance, I encourage you all to take a look at the various cultural stories of solar eclipses from Native Americans to all uh, ancient Greeks, the Chinese, all throughout the centuries, they have had some fascinating stories and ways to explain this phenomena. And it is really insightful and helps us understand how they were able and are still able to understand and how they view this, this very rare event. Now, what will we see on August 21st? Again, it's going from West Coast to East Coast. In the path of totality, you will eventually see the sequence um, moving as though the moon is taking a bite out of the sun. And as the totality is nearing, there is this phenomena called the diamond ring effect. So imagine a diamond ring glistening in the sunlight. And that is exactly what the diamond ring effect, just prior to totality, looks like in a solar eclipse. There's going to be this little glint of light, this one pinpoint of light. And then totality will occur. You we will all see some amazing features around the sun, such as the corona, which is very difficult for our scientists to study without the help of specially designed satellites. When the moon happens to become our own natural eclipse and natural satellite to block out the light of the sun, scientists are able to study the corona in more detail. Once totality finishes, then you will see again another diamond ring effect and then slowly but surely the moon will move away from the path of the sun. There are some fantastic features on the nasa.gov website. We also have a special website for this event, eclipse2017.nasa.gov has all of the latest and greatest information as well as videos, activities, books, uh, free downloadables that you all have access to. So again, eclipse2017.nasa.gov has a, incredible features that I highly encourage you all to check out. The image that I'm showing right now was taken uh, from a past eclipse and it shows Bailey's beads, it shows uh, the moon completely blocking out the disk of the sun. Around that disk you see feathery, wispy rays, which is actually part of the corona of the sun itself. It's very ethereal looking, if you can imagine that. And it's, I, for one, am very excited to see it in person when I will be in Carbondale, Illinois on the 21st. And I'm sure you all will be able to be very excited to see it as well. I think it's a wonderful part uh, to take a time out. I know I've given you a lot of wonderful information. I'd like to introduce one of my colleagues here. And it uh, looks as though he just signed off, so when he comes back on, I'll be able to introduce you. So I will hand it over to Larry and see if we have any questions. Great, Aaron. You know, the number one question that came in to us was, 
Why does the eclipse appear from west to east when the sun typically, typically travels from east to west? We had several people ask us that question. Excellent question. And that makes a lot of sense. It actually depends on our rotation. So when the eclipse is occurring, time does not stop. Our rotation of our planet and of our uh, moon does not stop. And so that is why it looks as though the, the moon is moving, or the eclipse will be moving from west to east because we are continually rotating on our own axis. Very good question. Another question, or I guess. Uh, just a statement is must have been really terrifying to people back in let's say the Middle Ages when it seemed that the sun was going to be blocked out and they weren't sure whether it was coming back or not. Uh, is there any interesting anecdotes or stories that NASA has on that sort of thing? Absolutely. Uh, one in particular that pops into my mind, the ancient Chinese believed that a dragon was biting the sun and actually taking chunks of the sun. And so I, that's, that's why I mentioned, please, if you have your own, if you have the time to see and, and research that on your own, um, it really is fascinating to look at how um, civilizations across the centuries were able to explain this phenomena in their own way. You mentioned that the next one would be in 2024. How far in advance can NASA or other uh, folks in that realm how far in advance can they be predicted? Well, you see, uh, I showed you the, the chart. Uh, it's going through 2020. So we have computer models that uh, analyze the planes, the, the angle of the plane, as well as the position of the Earth, the Moon, the Sun. And um, they can be predicted further out. Why don't we go ahead and um, start up the next segment? And uh, I've got some additional questions for you here when we take our next break. Okay, very good. So now that I've shared with you... But just to let you know, we have Ken here. Oh, very good. Thank you, Jordan. So that voice you just heard was one of my colleagues, Jordan Snyder. And uh, our, our other guest that's going to be joining us today, Ken Silberman, he is uh, one of our, another one of our colleagues here at Goddard Space Flight Center, Office of Education. And Ken, why don't you introduce yourself? Okay, hi, Larry, Aaron. Yeah, I am a totally blind engineer here at uh, Goddard Space Flight Center, and uh, I moved into the education office because I want to, you know, encourage blind and visually impaired folks to pursue STEM careers, and if 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 not that, become you know just educated members of the public. And it's really glad to be with you, and uh, I've got interested in Hadley because I've been taking some wonderful courses from from you guys. That's fantastic, Ken, and so glad you could join us today. Thank you. Thank you, Ken, so much. Well, now that I've shared with you the science behind the eclipse and a bit of the history, now let's talk about the day of. And safety is our number one priority in NASA in all aspects, including viewing the eclipse. So how do you view it safely? Well, we all know it's never safe to look directly at the sun, except when the sun is completely blocked during the period of total eclipse, known as totality. So if you are within that path of totality during that two to two minute, 40 second time period of totality itself, that's when we'll be able to take off the glasses. However, if you are not in that path of totality, you will always keep your glasses on, or you will always be using a pinhole viewer, or 
and I hope this doesn't happen to anyone, but if you are in a cloudy area, then you'll be able to view the megacast on NASA TV, nasa.gov, eclipse2017.nasa.gov, where NASA will be broadcasting the eclipse the entire day from various sites, west coast to east coast. Eye safety, when to use, when to wear those glasses. Again, this is only for when you're within the path of totality. So when it's going through partial eclipse, the Bailey's beads and diamond ring effect, you keep those glasses on. And as much as you may be tempted to take those glasses off, really keep those glasses on. It's, it's critical for your safety and for the safety of other viewers. At the moment of totality, once that diamond ring disappears and the moon completely covers the entire disk of the sun, you'll be able to safely view the eclipse without a solar filter. Now be careful to protect your eyes again before the end of totality. The total eclipse may last less than a minute in some locations, depending on where you are in that 60-mile uh, path of totality. Again, the maximum period of totality will be up to two hour, or two minutes, 40 seconds. That's what we'll be experiencing at Carbondale, Illinois. If you're in the center of that path of totality, anywhere else across the country, again, keep those glasses on. The final stages, as that crescent will begin to grow, the moon begins to move away, keep those glasses on. Now, it will not only be a visual sight, but you'll also be able to sense temperature drop. You will be able to hear birds quiet. They will be begin to believe that it's actually nighttime. Animals will also begin to quiet down and settle in for their evening routine. So we are encouraging all viewers to become citizen scientists on the day of the eclipse. Record your observations. There are several avenues. There are all outlined on the eclipse2017.nasa.gov website on how to document your observations. Tell us what you're seeing. Tell us uh, not only visually, but also what you're sensing, what you feel, what you hear, um, how your area is responding, and nature especially is responding to the eclipse itself. I guarantee we are going to be getting some amazing little anecdotes across the entire country from north, south, east, and west, all various levels and per percentages of totality and what they are experiencing when viewing the eclipse on the 21st. For NASA, well, we, of course, want to share this with you all with the public. This is an incredible event that's happening right within across our country. So we of course want to share safety factors, which I just share with you all on how to safely view the eclipse. Number two, we want to make you aware of the science. It's not just a really neat event. There's a lot of scientific value to viewing the eclipse, not only the relationship between Earth, Moon, and the Sun, but also studying the Sun itself. As I mentioned, studying the corona, focusing on the Bailey's beads features, or the diamond ring effect. Every eclipse is unique, so that's why we're very excited to share this science with you all.
as the event's unfolding. Number three, we want service as a fundamental learning opportunity of Nietzsche's processes. So education, of course, is a very important element that we want to share with you all. We also want to engage the public. That's our number four reason. This is an extremely unique opportunity for everyone in the U.S. to participate. If you haven't figured that out already, you can, can't hear the excitement in my voice. It is an incredible event and very unique. We want to get everyone involved all across our country to view this event. And number five, which I mentioned earlier, citizen science. There are several apps as well as other avenues online that you all can serve as citizen scientists to gather data on nature's processes. Now the number two reason, of course, the science, we want to make you aware of the missions, the science, and the return on the investment. These are your taxpayer dollars in action, so we want to make sure that you are aware of our science missions and programs that are helping us study the eclipse. Not only will we be able to view this from the ground, but we'll also be having uh, balloon launches. We'll also take a look at it from space. Several of our satellites, including the Solar Dynamic Observatory, will be able to view it from space. Our International Space Station, with six astronauts on board, will be able to make observations as well. These are all missions within our NASA portfolio that we want to make you all aware and see how we're all pulling these elements together to view this event. The science of seeing the sun, observing it from the ground, the Earth, studying our moon, our backyard satellite, also tracking those planetary eclipses. What we learn from eclipses here on planet Earth, we can also see throughout our solar system and beyond. So we are having a backyard experience, a backyard experiment, if you will, to see this wonderful event. So if we happen to see it again, let's say on Jupiter or on Mars, or let's flash forward. And then 2030s, when we have astronauts walking and setting foot on Mars, they might be able to experience a solar eclipse on the red planet. So there will be incredible scientific implications there. And moving even further beyond our solar system, finding those exoplanets and those planets outside of our own solar system. Moving on to corona from space, right? What we do for our, for our satellites, such as the Solar Dynamic Observatory, or SDO, we create a false eclipse. We put a black disk in front of the picture that we're taking of the sun, much like how the moon is naturally going to do that for us on the 21st, and we're able to study the corona. Well, as I mentioned earlier, during this natural happening event, we'll be able to observe the corona from the ground in a wide variety of ways, through telescopes, through observations made from balloons, as well as uh, aerial. I forgot to mention one of our orbiting or flying laboratories, SOFIA, which is actually a modified aircraft with a telescope on board, will be flying during the eclipse and will be able to see from 36,000 feet the eclipse as well. All of these images, all of this footage will be available to you in real time during that megacast and of course afterwards as NASA collects all of the data from both our scientific avenues and from you all as citizen scientists.
One of the citizen scientist programs is called Citizen Kate. The Citizen Kate experiment, which you can learn more about on the eclipse2017.nasa.gov website, one of the one of the highly recommended avenues where you all can input your observations of the eclipse. There is another app called iNaturalist where they are encouraging everyone to take images and write down their observations of how nature is responding to the eclipse. So there's two ways that you all can become scientists just like here at NASA. Citizen Kate experiment and the iNaturalist app. So I think that's another great time to pause again. And Larry, what questions do you have for me? Oh, I have an excellent question for you here. <laughs> Dave, wants, Dave wants to know, do total solar eclipses have any noticeable effect on humans or the Earth in general, such as affecting low or high tides? That's an excellent question. We are going to find out. Do they affect humans? Well, I'm sure our awe will be increased during the event itself. Um, will it affect high and low tides? We will have to wait to find out and see uh, what our citizen scientists are saying and seeing. We had a question here. Should I wear special glasses that day even if I'm already blind? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If you, we actually have uh, special solar eclipse viewing glasses. If you have a library nearby, they are handing out free glasses. I've also seen uh, solar eclipse glasses at Home Depot, Lowe's. The local grocery stores are also sharing these glasses. If you do not have access to glasses, then uh, you can also view it indirectly through a pinhole viewer. You can also um, listen to the megacast and hear the descriptions of what's going on. But of course, everyone needs to be very highly aware of eye safety during the eclipse. I'd, okay. like, to, uh, I'd like to kick this over to Ken for some comments. We had a question, how might a blind person experience a total eclipse? Things like how their service dog may act or um, what sort of things that they can expect to experience. Um, wow, that's an interesting question. I think, um, you know, you're going to see a lot of uh, reaction from animals in general because it's going to get very, especially if you're in the path of totality, it's going to get very dark like dusk. So you might see animals sort of go into their nocturnal mode for a little bit, even though that it's not going to last very long. I don't know. I'm, I, would, I don't know how service dogs are going to react. I would assume they would just react as though it's dusk. Um, but I, I, they should, I mean, I'm, I'm not in a service dog user, but they should be fine. Uh, it's just, again, it's not going to last. Experience, will they experience a temperature drop, do you think? Well, yeah, we all will. It'll, um, Aaron, I don't know if, uh, how much it'll drop if you have figures on that. Or I don't know. I don't have the figures, but it will be noticeably cooler. Yeah, yeah that's something that, that people are going to experience. Well, it, it's going to be like early evening or early morning. Think of it like that. That's what it's going to be like. The other thing I wanted to say about the glasses, if you can't get, you know, the eclipse glasses, you could go to Home Depot or something and get number 14 welding glass. That will work as well, but it has to be number 14 welding glass. I we had some questions. Dead. 
Sorry. We had some questions from people who are concerned, like the sun might be different that day, or if they're not even viewing the eclipse, do they need to be wearing glasses, or are their dog's eyes in any danger? So you might touch on that a little bit. Okay, well, I, I think, you know, it, it's not that the sun is any stronger or anything than it normally is. You, you never want to look at the sun. It's just when there's an eclipse, we all kind of want to look up at it. So it's, you know, th I, I think that's it. If you... If you look at the sun at all, normally you're gonna you're gonna have eye problems, but normally it's just you know it's just kind of up there doing its thing. So that's, that's a really good question. We've actually received a lot of questions here at NASA. How are our pets and our loved ones, our loved furry ones, going to respond? Typically, animals don't look at the sun, so uh, they may or may not uh, look during the eclipse. If you are really concerned, you can always put a pair of sunglasses or put a pair of solar glasses, excuse me, on uh, your dog. But um, they're very smart, and they, they know not to look at the sun. Great. That's helpful. Uh, I know a lot of people, we got a lot of questions in, in sort of a similar vein to that. So um, whenever you're ready, you can continue on, and uh, we'll have some more questions at the end. Sure, absolutely. So now I'm getting into more of uh, how we are observing the solar eclipse through NASA-funded projects. I mentioned a handful, but of course uh, these solar eclipses are going to help us understand the Sun-Earth connection. So we're focusing, we as NASA are focusing our studies of the physics of the coronal plasma, that corona, that feature, that feathery, very ethereal feature that outside of a naturally happening eclipse that we can only see with the help of our satellites. Measuring temperature and flow speed during the solar corona is also a very interesting feature that scientists are very intrigued to see what happens and to measure on the 21st. I mentioned SOFIA. Uh, one of our airborne missions. We're also going to be flying our WB-57s. These actually fly in sub-orbit, so just shy of Earth orbit altitude and sub-orbit. They are going to be performing um, airborne science across disciplines, not just heliophysics science, but various areas of science um, from that platform. Measuring the infrared, which is another wavelength of light of the corona, of course, citizen science, I know you've heard me say this over and over again, I may sound like a broken record by this point, but citizen science projects measuring the uh, solar corona, seeing the various types of, ex of infrared and visible observations, if you think of the light spectrum, and all of those various types of wavelengths from gamma rays to visible light, we are really interested in seeing this eclipse at the infrared and visible wavelengths. We're also looking at how our Earth responds, the various levels of our atmosphere, specifically the ionosphere over the continental U.S. So we're going to see what happens and any induced changes occur within the ionosphere during the eclipse itself. We want to see and take a look at some fantastic modeling and getting more distinct and exact measurements of solar eclipses from our vantage, various vantage points, not only from the ground, but also from balloons and from mid-altitude and high-altitude. Using the spacecraft that I mentioned earlier, as well as ground-based instruments 
for radiant transfer and also looking at the land and atmospheric responses. So going back to those wonderful questions Larry had asked earlier, we will be able to feel the temperature drop, we'll be able to see um, nature such as plants and animals react as though it is becoming nighttime. So we want to see those in person. Here I have a series of photographs of how you all can observe Earth during the eclipse, not just the eclipse itself, but you can hold a thermometer and note it and temperature drops during the eclipse itself. You can also take a look at, of course, our megacast and look at the various feeds that we're going to be pulling from both the ground, from our WB, from SOFIA, from our balloons, as well as hopefully from the ISS that's still being confirmed uh, as the eclipse is occurring. And I have a picture of a person taking um, a photograph. It's actually not taking a photograph of the eclipse. There are apps that you'll be able to use, such as with the GLOBE program, that you'll be able to make observations and input your data of clouds as well as other atmospheric changes. That brings me to a really good point. We were talking about eye safety, but it's also very important to utilize your telescopes and your cameras as well as your camera phones safely during the eclipse. I do not recommend, repeat, do not recommend taking a pair of solar eclipse glasses and placing it over your camera lens on your camera phone, on your smartphone. Why? Because that is actually not an appropriate enough filter to protect your very delicate hardware in your smartphone. And if that happens, your camera will fry. And we don't want that to happen. So there are special designed filters that you can attach to telescopes, to cameras, as well as your smartphone cameras that can safely view the eclipse. With that said, we at NASA are saying when the eclipse is occurring, put down your phone and enjoy the event as it is happening. We have so many observations going on from telescopes to balloons and everything else in between that we're going to be getting inundated with data. We want our citizen scientists to truly just enjoy this phenomena. I mentioned earlier the science and how we can learn about eclipses elsewhere in our solar system by taking a look at the ones happening here on Earth. We have witnessed eclipses happening on Jupiter as those are the images that I'm, I'm showing right now. We can also see them as uh, other objects are going in front of Mars or of, of other planets, not only within our solar system, but we can also identify solar eclipses elsewhere in our universe. And find, that can actually help us find exoplanets, those planets outside of our own solar system. So as I'm saying, the scientific implications and the science is endless of what we can learn and the applications further on down the road from this event on August 21st. And here we show how we're able to identify finding um, those exoplanets where the planet actually eclipses and goes in front of a star elsewhere in the universe. That is how one way how we're able to identify exoplanets elsewhere in the universe.
So I've shared with you the science, now I'm going into the resources. I've mentioned this website before, but once again, NASA has built a special website for everything Eclipse. It is Eclipse 2017, all one word, .nasa.gov. You can find Eclipse 101, all the facts and the science behind eclipses. You'll be able to locate events happening right in your backyard with a very handy dandy map that goes across the entire United States. You can find activities for all ages that helps you understand and as well as viewing the eclipse itself. One of those resources you all will be able to experience at Hadley. We have a tactile book called Getting a Feel for Eclipses. This is in collaboration with the College of Charleston in South Carolina and Edinburgh University of Pennsylvania. They have created a large-scale book for the visually impaired that helps you understand the science behind eclipses taking a look at the relationship between the sun, the moon, and the earth, where the path of totality will be occurring across the United States, as well as other features. So I highly encourage you all to take a look at this uh, if you are able to have the chance. Larry, I'm sure you have all the details of how many copies you'll be able to have uh, available at Hadley, but that is one resource that we have designed specifically for the visually impaired. So you all can help understand and experience the eclipse on your own. We do have a limited number of those particular tactile books, and we will, on the link to download this particular seminar for those who listen to it in the future, we'll have uh, some sort of explanation about how you might be able to get one of those books. Excellent. I, and again, highly recommend. We have created some fantastic resources, and this tactile book is one of my favorites of what we have experienced for our audiences in the eclipse. Well, I'm wrapping up with my presentation. Here I, I am showing a that event map that I mentioned earlier. You can find on eclipse2017.nasa.gov. It pinpoints events either NASA official events, including the one at Carbondale, Illinois, at Southern Illinois University, as well as affiliated events uh, along the path of totality as well as outside the path of totality. So if you are near a NASA center elsewhere in the United States, see if they are hosting a viewing event. I, I guarantee they probably will be, uh, but I if they are not, then check out your local library or your science center. Museums are also getting on board with um, viewing events and participate. Check it out. Become that citizen scientist on the 21st. On the 21st of the eclipse, of course, safety first. Always plan on viewing this safely. Plan on where you're going to be going. If you are traveling to another location, the Department of Transportation has, has said to anticipate heavier than normal uh, levels of traffic, so plan accordingly. This event will occur midday. It will start about uh, mid-morning on the West Coast and then travel across. Here in the DC area, the eclipse will start just before 2 p.m. Eastern Time. Totality will occur, partial totality, we'll experience about 81 to 82% totality 
here in the DC area will occur around 2.40 p.m. Eastern, and then will close out around 4 o'clock. So you can also find a map on the eclipse2017.nasa.gov website that is interactive. And if you can locate your, where you will be on the 21st, click on that point, a window will pop up telling you the percentage of totality and a time from start, totality, to finish. Here's a tip. Here's a handy pro tip. The time is listed in universal time, not by our, stand, our time zones here in the U.S. So there will be a little bit of a conversion from the uh, universal time wherever you may be. But just to let you know, those times will be in a 24-hour as well as universal time. On the day of the event, as I said earlier, watch it. Enjoy it. Take it all in. Make your observations. Help us understand what you are experiencing wherever you may be in the United States on the day of the eclipse. And of course, share it with us. In closing, I would just like to thank Larry and the Hadley Institute for inviting Ken and myself to share with you all of this wonderful information and exciting information about this fantastic event. I hope you are now just as excited as Ken and I are about this upcoming event. For more information on the eclipse, again, you can go to eclipse2017.nasa.gov. You can also visit our main website, www.nasa.gov eclipse. For more information on safe viewing of eclipses, you can either go to the safety section on the Eclipse 2017 website, or you can go to our YouTube channel and listen to various very fun videos on how to safely view the eclipse. In closing, we of course welcome any questions and comments that you may have for us before, during, and after this event on August 21st. You can field those questions and comments at eclipse2017.nasa.gov slash contact us. And with that, Larry, I will turn it over to you for some final questions. Thanks, Aaron. Yeah, hi. I just wanted to, if you have a minute, I just wanted to say that, you know, the science and everything is so important, but one of the real practical reasons that every American, everybody around the world should care that their tax money is being spent on this is that this helps us study the solar weather, that is the solar wind. The sun emits highly energetic particles through coronal mass ejections or solar flares that tend to wreak havoc with communication satellites. Every spacecraft that we send up has to be shielded against solar and cosmic radiation. So that's a very practical uh, reason, as well as the wonderful science, to, to spend our money on this. It interferes with civilian and military communications, aircraft communications, and that that is just, you can see you can see the potential problems that we could have. And it also accounts for the northern and southern lights because those solar particles, they get trapped in Earth's magnetic field and get pulled around into the atmosphere uh, up at the north and south poles. And uh, that's where you get the, the those uh, aurora, aurora borealis and I forget what the other one's called. But anyway, they're the northern and southern lights. Aurora Australis. Excellent.
I got a very basic question here, but I'm sure it's one that people are wondering about. We know that the sun is 400 times larger than the moon. So why in the world during a solar eclipse is it possible for the moon to block the sun's rays totally? That's an excellent question. Yeah, when you think about it, how in the world can that happen? Well, let's go back to what I talked earlier about. There has to be two specific things to occur. Uh, one, the planes of, or the, the paths that we are all orbiting on, if you imagine those imaginary lines, they have to be perfectly in alignment between our planet Earth, the moon, and the sun. Number two, for complete total solar eclipse, the moon has to be at that closest point that we call perigee. So that's one way, that's how we're able to see, as it's, it's perceived as from our viewpoint here on planet Earth, that the moon is completely blocking out the sun. Yeah, one, if I can, one cool thing, and you're talking about that, Aaron, is, is I don't remember which one of the Apollo astronauts, but one of them said he could, when he was standing on the moon, he could put up his thumb and block out the entire Earth. How cool is that? That's right. Yeah, I believe you're talking about uh, Jim Lovell. When he was orbiting around the moon, he was able to block out the, our planet Earth just with the tip of his thumb. So there's also a couple, you know, between the Earth and the Moon, it's a quarter of a million miles, 250,000 miles distance. Between our Earth and the Sun, it's 93 million miles of distance in between, also known as one AU or one astronomical unit. So that also occurs, that also helps in this whole phenomenon that we call eclipses and how we're able to view it as we can here on Earth. Another question, is there... Was there any, what would we would characterize as the most famous total, total solar eclipse? Has there been one in history that got more attention or got a name or anything like that? <laughs> I, off the top of my head, I am not sure. I will have to get back to you on that. I encourage you all to uh, visit our Eclipse 2017 website. We actually do have historic references um, about eclipses. And actually, from um, the viewpoint of from Carbondale, Illinois, if you want to go back into it. They are just in the prime location for viewing this. Again, the crossroads of the eclipse. You know, you all did such a comprehensive job with this. You did such a wonderful job of presenting this information. You have answered, I have like three pages of questions here, and you have answered pretty much every single one of them. So, first oh, of all, wow. major you. kudos on that. And uh, second of all, I guess... In light of that, I'm going to open it up for the anyone in the audience that has a question for uh, Aaron or Ken or anybody else to just go ahead and uh, feel free to join that in. Either type it in the text box mm -hmm. and I'll relay it, or if you have a microphone, go ahead and use that. Hey, Larry, mm -hmm. if I can, I, I'd just love to throw in another quick Apollo story. Please. Yeah. Apollo 12, when Aaron, Aaron was talking about how you could fry your camera, that's happened on Apollo 12. Pete Conrad accidentally pointed the camera at the sun on the moon and uh, he goes well I guess that's all the video we're gonna get on this mission <laughs> <laughs> that was that camera was fried Wow. <laughs> it, was a, it was a it was a video camera yep Do we have any other questions for any anyone in the audience okay uh, anyone else last call for questions all right then want to let everyone know that this seminar, like all of our seminars, will be archived on our website and available for your use anytime around the clock. 
Also, each Hadley seminar is made available as a podcast, which you can download to your computer or mobile device. If today's seminar has you interested in this or related science topics, please check out Hadley's Earth and Space Science course, our course catalog, and the seminar archives. Aaron and I both thank you for your participation. Your questions as submitted to us, as always, were outstanding and really added to the value of this seminar. Hadley values your feedback. Please let us know what you thought about today's seminar, and please give us suggestions for future topics. You can do that by dropping us an email to feedback at hadley.edu. That's F-E-E-D-B-A-C-K, the at sign, H-A-D-L-E-Y dot E-D-U. I'm going to turn the microphone over to Aaron or Ken or both for see if they have any final comments. Ken, I'll go to you first. I just want to thank, uh, Larry, I just want to thank you and the Hadley team for inviting us. And I really, really enjoy, enjoyed working with you guys and, uh, you know, getting them, you know, the NASA message out. And if, if anyone is interested in, anyone out there is interested in pursuing STEM careers or working with us, uh, um, you know, on, on getting into science for the blind, they can contact me. And uh, you can feel you have my contact information. You can feel free to uh, put that up there. And we do have I got to take a shameless plug for our NASA internships at intern.nasa.gov. So again, people can look there or or uh, contact me. And it's been a real pleasure. I echo Ken's sentiments. Thank you so much for allowing this opportunity for us to connect with you all and share this fantastic information on the upcoming eclipse. If you are interested and you see yourself, you really want to work for NASA, this was my childhood dream come true. Um, I was a very excited seven-year-old girl who saw a picture of astronauts sleeping on the space shuttle. One was looking as though he was sleeping on his head. That sparked my interest in space, with NASA, and with science in general. And so if you are just as excited, not only about science, but also math, technology, engineering, teaching, you can find one of those careers at every NASA center. So my final sentiments will be for you to find something that you love to study and stick with it, because maybe one day you'll be helping us here at NASA. And I would add on to that, First of all, I want to personally thank Aaron for such a fantastic presentation, and I want to thank Ken and Jordan for helping facilitate us making this available for you today. And stay tuned. Uh, keep your eyes open. Keep, uh, keep watch out there, because we may just have another seminar or two with, from the NASA folks, and uh, I think you'll enjoy those as much as, uh, as you did today's seminar. So I want to personally thank everyone who was a part of this for taking time to be a part of this seminar. I think it turned out particularly well, and it's a particularly timely issue. So again, thank everyone, and until we speak again, goodbye for now. Goodbye from NASA.